Hey y'all, Greg Armstrong here, pastor of a new church, the host of the Gospel and Race podcast. I am calling for all pastors, church planters, and leaders who feel an intentional call towards multi-ethnic ministry. You know, I looked for a long time to try to find a tribe that could help me sort out the complexities of multi-ethnic church planting. Well, look, family, we've created this space for you to enter into a community of like-minded leaders who will sort and discern together how we lead faithfully in the multi-ethnic space. We call it the Multi-Ethnic Leaders Network. Real easy, I want you to go to multi-ethnicnetwork.com. I want you to get all the information you can regarding how we're going to move forward together and journey in all that God's called us to do as multi-ethnic leaders in his kingdom. I'll see y'all there. What's up? We are back. This is, I probably shouldn't say what episode. This is episode two. I'm going to say it. (laughs) Gospel and Race Podcast with yours truly, Greg Armstrong. I am so blessed by the feedback of many of my peers, constituents, and those, those of you out there that are intrigued about having these talks about race in the church, the gospel and race. I get it too. Race is a construct created, I believe, in like the 19th century. I mean, that begins classifying us economically, skin color, type, ethnicity, etc. However, I think it's important that we have significant spaces where we can deal with the reality of race and the church. The world is absolutely inundated with race issues. The systems of our country are absolutely embedded in the sickness of division, polarization, racisms. And I'll be honest, y'all, I, I believe that the church should be on the forefront leading the conversation, leading the way in regards to how we see real racial reconciliation, how we really see true unity in the body of Christ. And I just can't get off of it, man. I mean, it's the church has got to do that job. The church has got to do that work. And so if we're informed simply by the world as to how to deal with our differences, then there is no kingdom engagement involved with that. And then we leave out the spirit and then all kinds of stuff goes away. I'm calling for the church to help deal with these issues because the church is the most, in my opinion, and this is with respect to all other um, religions. I have friends that that are in other religions. I have friends that are, that serve in other religious, religious capacities. However, I believe God's church is the strongest force in the world to bring any kind of significant change and that not, not only that, not only is the church the strongest force in the world to bring significant change, but that God's desire is that we see significant change, especially as it relates to unity, as it relates to race, as it relates to injustice, as it relates to all the perils and the travesties that we are witnessing in our world and in our culture. I'm just going to say that this is one of the spaces where we'll sort those things out. I want to thank God for many of the voices out there in the body of Christ that are helping sort these things out or helping to discern these significant subjects on race and injustice and the church and the gospel. 
And I just want to lend my voice to it and just see what God does between all of us discerning together. So I'm excited about talking more about the gospel and race. As a matter of fact, y'all see today I'm by myself. I'm chilling, but I do got Garrett in here with me who, folks, you got to know he's producing this entire situation. And he's doing a phenomenal job. So, Garrett, kudos to you, man. Good to have you in the, in the space. Thanks, man. Hanging out. And uh, so, yeah, I, I want to I wanna lean into a subject that's going to seem a little bit watered down when I bring it up. But um, I think we are missing it on this subject. And I think we need to lean in today. And it's this. Now, don't turn me off when I say it. It's unity. Real unity. Unification. Togetherness. Cohesiveness. Loyalty. Which you might think, what does that have to do with race and injustice in the gospel? Well, listen to me. I I suspect, just like I've always thought, that many people that are watching or listening think unity is, racial unity rather, is, hey, let's do an outreach together. You guys are white, you're all Hispanic, you're all black, you're all Indian. Let's all do this outreach together and really show true unity. And then we put, you know, we put it on the bumper and we put it on the flyer. And it's like, man, look, look at this, man. These people understand unity. They understand the power of togetherness. I bet, I bet some of us, like I did, some of you watching, that are even trying to pursue racial justice in the church feel like unity is, I don't know, pulpit swapping. Like you, uh, white pastor, come preach in my church, black church, my black pastor, me, I go preach in your church, and this is unity, unity. Um. I, I, I would suspect that many of us watching, just like I did, think unity is, man, let's just have a cup of coffee or let's just hang out one time. Let's just be seen together. And because we were together around a common cause, et cetera, et cetera, it's unity. I want to contend that that is a very, that's a, a, a first level unity. In some spaces, it's a shallow unity because the reality of racial unity is this. We, we have got to unwind generations of demonic oppression as it relates to division. Like we've got to unwind generations of demonic oppression and strongholds as it relates to division and polarization and hatred and cynicism. So I want to look, I'm not, I'm not throwing shade on those who do pulpit swaps or those who hang out together or churches do things together because we do promote that as well. And we do that in our context. But what I want to talk about today in regards to racial unity is this. Racial unity, or if I can say it like this, kingdom unity, Christ-centered unity, is such a messy engagement. It ain't fun. And anytime you see, and, and this is the reason why I started the, the, the podcast today with saying that 
this word unity was going to be watered down because we actually don't even listen to that word anymore because it's unity, unification. We see the poster with like the hands holding hands. They're all different colors. And we have an event outside on the streets. Oh, look at this, man. Look what God's doing. And man, I'm going to tell you something. I spent such a long, I spent so long um, focusing on that surface kind of unity. And it's not until some travesty comes or some, 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 some situations arise that really test the unification of a people. So unity is powerful only, with, only when it's within the context of the kingdom. Unity on the surface level does nothing for us in terms of the church and race and racism and the gospel. Unity in itself without the depth of the kingdom is simply just a show. And so, so here's, what I, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what, here's, here's what I'm trying to get over. Here's what I want us to talk about today. Real significant unity is only fully realized when crisis comes. Like, we can say all day, man, I, I need you. you. Y'all know the old school Hezekiah Walker song. I need you. You need me. We're all a part of God's body. I mean, it's a, I, by the way, I love that song, Hezekiah Walker. And at my home church, that's, that's our jam. But hear me, hear me, fam. The reality is this, that real unity is tested among a people, especially God's people. When crisis comes, I can roll with anybody when we all agree on everything. We all roll together when we agree on everything. Like when, when we all agree on everything and nobody has any kind of dissension or pushback to a viewpoint you have or a viewpoint I have, then we, we're always going to be on the poster, every color, every nation in unity. But the reality is this. The reality is that true unity is so messy because it really is only realized when crisis comes, what do we do when something disrupts how I view you or how you view me? And we are different colors, different ethnicities, different races, different backgrounds. How do we handle, especially as people of God, how do we handle the discrepancies that come when crisis hits and things get crazy? And now I don't know how I feel about you. This is why I believe as we engage this conversation of race and the gospel, the gospel and race, we have got to do it with a posture of discerning. And I know we talked about this before in another podcast, but we've got to do it with a posture of discerning because if we don't engage gospel and race with a posture of discerning, then when crisis hits or when circumstances hit or when differences become manifest and I don't see you the same way, I don't run back in my corner and now become just as polarized as I was before. And that's a fact. And let, I mean, I really want to, I really want to get across to you today is this. The, the devil's greatest flex is division. I'm talking about, <laughs> come on, man. Since the beginning of time, the devil's greatest flex is division. I know, you know, I grew up in, um, you know, I grew up in a testifying church, man. You know, we used to have testimony service. Testimony. So I'm talking about for hours, bro. Here, here we got a bunch of adults 
in church because we didn't have children's church. Come on. All of us kids are sitting in there listening to all these grown people testify about everything. And they would testify about anything. And you would feel guilty if you didn't get up and give a testimony. As a matter of fact, I'm Missionary Baptist. We got up and sang a song and then testified. Come on, you got to sing a song with that testimony. And the, and the church mother would get up and sing a song and then say, man, listen to me. God saved me. I was sick two weeks ago in the hospital and the Lord came through and saved me and healed me. And the whole church would go up. Oh, praise the Lord. We start dancing and shouting and having a good old time. And, and then we, we'd, uh, we'd go to the next person <laughs> and the next person. And the next person. And so testifying about the goodness of God is absolutely necessary. But here's what I want to say to you. That the devil wants to fully, fully engage division from the onset and set us all against each other, whether you're the same color or not. And I think we need to understand that as kingdom people that his greatest tactic is to divide and conquer. That we can't even talk about gospel and race if we don't understand that unity is the very thing that the devil is trying to disrupt. And I don't understand why the church is trying to engage gospel and race conversations without talking about how the kingdom, in, how the kingdom has to sort it out and how the devil hates it. That's just kind of where I'm at. I, I, there's a lot of philosophy. There's a lot of history. There's a lot of psychology. There's a lot of truth. There's a lot of sociology around race and injustice. But I think bare bones, like for my grandma to have understood the severity of this as she lived it, it's basically the devil is out to kill you and to bring division and to bring strife amongst any people, especially when it comes in our country to race and injustice, to bring absolute division and peril. We've got to understand that that is his greatest flex. Division. Division. Because any person that has it out for someone else or any army or any team or whatever that has it out for an opponent understands that if I can divide them, I will weaken their strength. And I will make them stagnant in whatever their engagement is or whatever their goal is. Now, I don't mean to be like elementary on this point. I just want to make sure we understand what we're, what we're working with here. I need, to, I need to understand what we're working with here, that we're working with opposition. So my voice personally is for, is for kingdom people. I, I like to talk to church people that are in in the family of God, because as I mentioned earlier, if we sort these things out in the family, then I believe that the kingdom can then invade the culture and that we can become the example of what God envisions for his people broadly. So I talk to people about church and because I talk to church people, I need to talk to church people in a way that they understand that we're still in a fight with the enemy. We're still in a fight with the enemy that there is legislation passed that is coinciding with racial injustice, that, that people can be steered by the enemy 
to bring division and hatred and segregation. Like that the enemy is still underneath the realities of these sick um, and twisted um, issues regarding ethnicity, race, and injustice. That we have an adversary and he hates unity. I think I just I think I just started preaching. Like I didn't really like it. this is not this podcast is not to preach, but I just listen, we gotta get this. That this race that we're running is about unity. All right, all right. So let me read this. Actually, I'm gonna read it from my phone. Ah oh, man. I was meditating on this verse earlier. This is John 17, 21. This is Jesus. We get like this inside look at Jesus' conversation with the Father. Jesus is showing his vulnerable self with the Father. John helps us see this with this verse. It says this, I pray that they all be one, just as you and I are one. Here's what he's saying to the Father. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I love that text because John is helping us understand that Jesus was asking the Father that he help those disciples be one. Like, here's, here's, here's how I interpret this, this text. And here's what I see, fam. The disciples didn't know what they were in for. See, when they sat under the shadow of Jesus, they witnessed all of the unification, the unity, the, the healings, the miracles. They saw the kingdom revealed in ways that no one had ever seen before, and they sat under the, uh, the tutelage, right, as, as disciples of Jesus. And, and I think Jesus was really struggling with what's about to happen next, I actually see some of his humanity in this text because I'm not saying he doubted, but I, I, I do think that Jesus was saying, hey, I need them to be like you and I because he understood that if kingdom people don't have the type of unified front that you and I have God, if they're not deeply embedded in unity like you and I are, they will not make it. Now, some people may not see this text as a unity text. I do, because I, I believe Jesus is saying, hey, the same secret sauce that made for the kingdom of God to be revealed to a people who had never seen it, I need them to have that. And if I were to read into the text more, I, would, <laughs> I can't put words in Jesus' mouth, but I can imagine that he'd say, listen, I can't, I, can't, I can't move on from here if they don't have that same sauce. So, God, would you, would you please help them understand the severity of oneness? Oneness, togetherness, unity, unification. You and I, just like in Genesis 1, let us make man in our image like God has never done anything alone if you subscribe to Trinitarian theology that he has always been with. 
Jesus at the right hand, the Holy Spirit as the movement of God. And I believe that Jesus was so he was so engrafted in this life of kingdom, which is not individualistic like we preach nowadays. This life of kingdom that was not let me get mine like we preach nowadays. This life of social media influences like we preach nowadays. These great and awesome voices and figures that we admire like Jesus. The, the way he understood the kingdom was never in isolation. It was fully, fully in communi community with and in conjunction with and in unity with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Are y'all with me here? Because I'm trying to get us to understand how we can engage gospel and race while understanding unity. And so here's the, here's the thing that I think we, we miss and that we fall and fail at. And this is the crossroads, I think, many of us in the church, especially multi-ethnic, different ethnicities, this is where we fail is Jesus was fully on board with following God's plan for the salvation of mankind and for the kingdom of God to be revealed amongst his people. However, Jesus did not always like the way that the mission was carried out. Pointed, here's what I'm saying. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was having a breakdown, frustrated with the disciples, saying, look, can y'all, can y'all at least, can y'all hang for an hour? In other words, I think that Jesus was actually feeling that sense of individualism, that sense of isolation. That sense of I'm by myself in my own in my own feelings, in my own mind, in my own heart. And I think that's what drove him to go crazy in the garden. Like, yo, where's God? Where's God? Because this, this is painful. Where's my father? And where are my boys? Because they keep going to sleep. I think Jesus was so unified. <laughs> he was so connected. That in that moment of despair, he had questions. And he, he, he said this to God. He said, listen, if you can make this cup pass, if you can dismiss this whole situation, do it. And then, and then he came to himself and said, but you know what? It's your mission. It's the way you wanted it. It's, it's what you called me to do. It's, it's where you called me to be. This is how this relationship is playing out. You wrote the script. And although I don't agree with this part of the script, I'm rolling with the script because that's what unity does. That's what unification does. And we live in a world family where we can unfriend people immediately. We live in a world family where we can dismiss people immediately. I've never seen a culture that is so dismissive. I've never seen a culture that is so infatuated with cutting people off. I've never seen a culture and I, I'm not that old, but so I can't go way, way back. But our culture is infatuated with cancellations, burying people. I don't agree, so I'm done with you. I mean, it's quick too. Y'all know it. Y'all got some. Y'all got some friends on Facebook or Instagram or whatever 
where, you know, you're like, man, I haven't seen so-and-so in a while. Like, where, where did she go? Where did he go? And you, you, look, in the, you look in your friends, they, they didn't cut you off, man. I've had that. We've all had that. They cut me off. Maybe it's something I said. Maybe it's something I did. Maybe, they just pur- maybe they're just purging their friends. I don't know. But our culture is infatuated with cutting people off, letting people loose, cutting the ties immediately. I don't agree with you, so I'm going to cut you off. I don't like what that celebrity said, so we're going to cancel them. I don't like what this person did, so we're going to bury them. And then the mob comes into the picture, and then everybody comes. Then we're all jumping on. We're, we all come with misinformation and minimal information, and we'll literally cut people off based on what somebody else said. It's crazy. It's fascinating. As a matter of fact, as a sociological study, this generation's ability to literally cut you off. Like, I'm done. And that's creeped into the church, even. That's creeped into our marriages. That's creeped into our covenant relationships. That's creeped into our differences, not just race and ethnicity, but also theology and the way we view the world. Soon as somebody says something, done with them, done. No explanation. And I don't believe that Jesus models that for us. I believe that Jesus shows us outside of Judas's need because that was a part of the mission, that was a part of the narrative. Judas's was gonna, Judas was going to betray him, and Jesus said, go ahead, do what you got to do. Jesus didn't have that cutoff spirit because he believed in the power of unity, unification, togetherness, oneness, closeness, and that cutting someone off or dismissing someone because I don't like a part of our journey. It's just not the kingdom. It's not the kingdom. And I'd like to question, I'd like to question if the kingdom of God, or let me, let me not say the kingdom. Let me say, I'd like to question if the church would have more of an impact and influential, uh, influential platform for the, for culture. If we learn not to cut people off, just because we disagree with them or we disagree with the part of the story that we're walking out. Fam. So what does this have to do with the gospel and race? <laughs> man, I, I didn't preach the whole situation. I, 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 I'm telling you, man, I'm passionate about this. This has everything to do with the gospel and race because as we co-labor in the kingdom and live out the gospel together, every nation, tribe, creed, tongue, and language, every color, every hairstyle, every as we live out this life, multi-ethnic people, we are not always going to enjoy the journey together. Like there are going to be spots in the journey that we're going to have to sit down and discern together and ask questions about what in the world was that? And explain to me why you said, did, or see it that way. Or vice versa. Vice versa. Hey, you said this to me. And I don't know if you understand, but culturally where I come from, like that's offensive. See, these are the places where we drop the ball, church. Where when we disagree, we immediately cut each other off. And listen, if you're going to engage a multi-ethnic gospel, 
If we are going to live out God's reality for all nations, all colors, all creeds, if we're going to live that out, then you best believe that with all our differences, all of our vast cultural complexities, you better believe we are going to butt heads. We just don't see stuff the same way. My lineage is completely different from my brother's lineage. You know, Garrett, our lineages are different. The way we came up, the way we got here, it's different. The way our families make, the way culture speaks in our homes, various ethnicities, it's totally different. And so the church needs to take on the model of Jesus that says, hey, God, I'm in oneness with you, in unity with you, but when but when it when it gets rough, when it gets unexplainable, when it gets tense, when it gets offensive, that doesn't mean I run. That means we sort it out by the by the Spirit and let the kingdom of God unveil these issues. Yada yada yada. Now I know some of y'all are saying, "Well, yeah, whatever." You know, we've been trying to sort out race issues with God. For generations. As a matter of fact, I like to say it like this. Here's my problem I have with the race conversation in church. One is this. The, the, the one problem I have with the race conversation in church is that oftentimes we leave God out of the race conversation and we engage it on strictly a cultural and social platform. And while it needs to be handled in those spaces as well, uh, many times we leave God and the kingdom and the spirits work out of it. Here's my second issue with how we engage race in the church is we put God in it <laughs> and we put God in it inappropriately in that we pull and discern scripture in a way um, that is through the lens of political ideologies and um, offensive ideologies. And, and, and when we put God, when we put God's name on that, there is no true discerning of what the spirit wants to do. You can't discern when you've, when you've did it in the name of God, but it's masked with and covered and spewed with uh, cultural ideologies. What happens when we truly discern together, when we really have God in it, in this, in this engagement of race and the gospel, what really happens is everyone comes to the table with full fundamental humility. Humility that says, as the spirit begins to sort out the complexities of our differences, it's going to call for both of us to bleed and for both of us to be humble enough to say this, this is truth from the spirit. This is truth. For instance, we, when we sort out race and injustice at the table, we have to be honest about true history. Like my white brothers and sisters can't say, well, that never happened. Well, that happened. It happened. Slavery happened. Um, uh, Jim Crow laws happened. Um, these, and I'm not, I'm not making this one-sided but I, I'm using this as an example that these, these forms of racism just really reinvented themselves in the culture. And we, as we discern, we can't have a defensive posture to say, well, that never happened. No, no, no. 
Let's discern. Let, it did happen. How can the Spirit help us discern what happened? And how do we move forward with the gospel, with the kingdom, in the power of the Spirit, in true reconciliation? That, that's what I'm saying. So when we, when, we, when we don't jump into the messiness, into the real identification of what's happening, when we don't expose the tactics of the enemy, which is division, when we don't spend time together at the table in true humility saying, hey, I'm not bringing opinions, I'm bring, we're going to sort this out. And, uh, and understand that we all come with baggage and we all come with biases and that we all come with differences and that we all come with different viewpoints and worldviews. Understanding all that, we come and say, Spirit of God, s- sort out these things. And hear me, family. This is for my Pentecostals because I'm a Baptocostal. That's not happening in one conversation, family. Come on, man. That's not, that's not happening on a worship night. That's not happening. At a revival night. I, look, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that God can't do. I'm just saying that kind of deep unifying work amongst cultures and ethnicities, it's not going to happen in a one-night spiritual encounter. It's going to happen with consistency and intentionality, just like our walk with God. Our walk with God is not, Oh, boom, God hit me. Everything is different. No, no. Our walk with God is boom. God has come into my life. I've received Jesus. I'm full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is Lord over my life. Now problems are still present. And now the Spirit every day helps me sort out my life, my issues, my problems. The Lord comes in with his healing power, with his, come on, y'all. So that's true unity and unifying, reconciling, spirit-led, gospel-centered, kingdom-minded unity across racial lines. So I think it's important that we understand that if we're going to engage the gospel and race, that you and I are going to have some offenses along the line. Because real family that has oneness always has offenses along the line, along, along the journey. We will not agree all the time. We will, not, we will not see it the same way all the time. We will be offended at times. We do have to sort out the history that comes with our various ethnicities. We do need to sort out the history that comes with our country and the systems that perpetuate these injustices and these racisms and these divisions. However, if, if we are willing to live within the messiness of this unification and we are willing to come to the table with true blood-covered unifying humility, <laughs> I then think the Spirit of God says, okay, I can work with that. Some of y'all going to get cut along, along these lines. Along this journey, some of y'all going to get cut. Some of you going to get offended. Every color, ethnicity, every one of y'all at some point is going to get offended. It's going to get hurt. But what do you do with that offense and that hurt? Do you allow to play into the enemy's tactic of division or do you allow the table to be the magnet that helps us sort these things out? So I really, I really started learning about unity 
for me personally, um, in 2020 when, when George Floyd got killed. So George Floyd gets, gets murdered um, and filmed. It's filmed. And this cop has his knee on his neck. I think it was eight seconds, not eight, nine seconds. And it's it's so funny how technical we get, right? Like we get so tech, you know, was it, was it, he actually died from this and it wasn't actually the knee. Yeah. All these things started happening with George Floyd. You know, you know, the, the courts got involved and the sciences got involved. The doctors got involved and then politics got involved. And then race was fully on display for the whole world to see. And it just blew things up. And we're all just like, well, we don't know, you know, black people are like, yo, you killed this man. I got white friends that were like, well, he didn't actually die from that. It's like, what is, what? Okay, he didn't die from the knee. Let's let's use that as a narrative. This man sat on his neck for eight. You see what I'm saying? You see those differences that one one racial party is gonna say, you are crazy for not seeing it this way. The other is gonna say the same thing. But here's how we we sort it out. So I wrote this article. Shout out to Scott McKnight. He let me write on his his blog called Sins, Systems, and Sanctuaries. And I just I wrote this article just to talk about the race, the race issues in church. And to be honest with you, bro, I just, I was just telling my story. Like I was just telling people I've worked for white churches. I've worked for multi-ethnic churches. I worked for black churches and in, in the spaces where I worked in these majority white spaces in my school, I went to was all white. I experienced racisms and injustices. And here are the things that I experienced. And then I began to really try to use my voice for black and brown bodies that then were getting dragged after we had witnessed George Floyd get murdered on the street in Minnesota. So all I was doing as a pastor, as a leader, as a prophetic voice, I was just saying, look, hey, guys, we got some issues here. As a matter of fact, I am a product of some of the issues that we have in our country. I, family, I was trained by my father as to how to engage the police. Like, I'm telling people this. Like, I, when police get behind my car to this day, I'm 40 years old, I get nervous. And I have in my head a system of occurrences. Here's what you do. Here's what you do. Here's what you do. It is interwoven into the black experience. All I'm doing is telling my story, telling about the injustices, exposing the enemy for who he is. He is an enemy of division. And, bro, I'm going to tell you something. My inbox blew up. I mean, people coming from everywhere, people I've known for years, some I haven't known that long. And let me be honest, it was my white friends. No, man, no, no, you missing it, man. You missing it. You know, Floyd died of asphyxiation. He had issues. He had drugs in his system, yada, 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 this, this, and that. And I'm just, at first, I'm going back and forth with people like, Okay, okay, okay. So the mutilation of a black man on camera, you are you as a as a man or woman of God, you are gonna take that and really spin it and try to even find alternate ways to really excuse this man of what he this this cop of what he did. I mean, it's just fascinating, right? They 
I mean, they're in my inbox. I thought you were a man of God. I thought you were clergy. I thought you were a man of faith. I listened to you preach, and now I can't. I'm gonna unfriend you. I can't believe you would say those things are happening in the church. Oh, here was the here was the good one. The only color that matters in the kingdom is red. Oh, if I hear that one more time. And if the only color that matters in the kingdom of God, it's not black, it's not white, it's not Hispanic, it's not brown, it's not yellow, it's red for the blood of Jesus. And that's the only thing that matters. Yeah, that's the only thing that matters to someone who does not have to be uh, arrested by the systems of injustice in our world. Like, of course, that's the only color that matters to you. Because you don't get afraid when cops drive behind you. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about you don't have to worry about going to the going to the bank or being seen. You don't have to worry about turning your hat around in certain neighborhoods. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about how you dress and how you look in certain spaces because you will immediately be profiled. That's what I'm trying to say, family, in terms of the church. We cannot churchify and we cannot spiritualize or shout over or revivalize. I just made a word. We can't revivalize true injustice and racism. Like you can't just say the blood of Jesus is the only color that matters. No. When the experience of a people in a country that is steeped and embedded in systems that perpetuate injustice and inequality, when that's a reality, then we need to cooperate with the spirit to, to get into, to break those systems up. We don't, we don't, uh, we don't approve the systems and say, well, God's going to work anyhow. No, we need to invade the systems with the gospel because God's passion is justice. Justice, not in a politicized fashion, not necessarily just in sociology, but justice in, in the biblical sense, doing what is right. Cause that's what justice is. And so I lost a lot of friends, Garrett. Like I lost a lot of preacher friends. I lost a lot of, Christians. I mean, these are same, these are the same people, man, we've worshiped together. We've cried together. We've lifted our hands together. We've been at the altar together. We said that God moved amongst us. We said it. To, we said that to like together, we experienced those things. And one situation like Floyd rest his soul. And it divides us tremendously. And that was heartbreaking, bro. That was heartbreaking because I saw many of my constituents, friends, and even former colleagues choose a political narrative over a discerning, which is tell me about how you tell me more about how you feel, G. Now, let me give some love to though, by the way. I had a lot of buddies. I had a lot of white friends. I had a lot of homies that really did reach out and say, hey man, I just don't, I didn't know. Can we talk about it? Like, can I hear more about your story? I want to shout y'all out because that's where, that's where the kingdom work begins to happen. I say, man, I want to, I want to, I want to tell me more about that. How do you feel? What, what did you say about cops? You really feel like that? You know what I mean? So they, they were really reaching out, but the other jokers were like, yo, peace. This is all fake. This same thing happened with COVID, right? Not too long later, not, not too much longer. From then, you know, hey, this is all fake. This is fake news. And I'm like, okay, there are black and brown bodies 
that are dying of COVID. <laughs> Confirmed. Dying. 40-year-olds, bro. 40-year-olds. Younger than that, dying on ventilators. We knew statistically, we knew the facts that the black and brown community was affected just disproportionately. I mean, magnificently higher than any other race. And that's something that in our community we had to deal with that other communities didn't, they didn't have to see. So for, for my brothers and sisters to say, yo, none of this is real and politicize it, it's heartbreaking. So my point is this, the devil will use any circumstance. I don't want to minimize Floyd's death because that, 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 that was demonic and never should have happened. It also, though, opened up space for us to really elevate the, the depth of, of need, needed conversation and, and reconciliation. But the devil is going to use every circumstance, cultural circumstance. He's going to use every church circumstance, every leadership circumstance, everything he can to bring division. And, and the question is, for those of us who believe in a multi-ethnic vision of God, for those of us who believe in the gospel and unity and true gospel-centered reconciliation, are we willing to get into the messiness of unity? Because unity is not kumbaya by a fire strumming an acoustic guitar. Unity is not is not is not a toasting s'mores and singing in harmony. Unity is not just oh man, I got a black friend, I got a white friend, I got an Asian friend. Unity is unity is what happens when crisis comes and how, as the people of God, do we respond to it? And do we allow the kingdom to be unveiled and do we allow the spirit to help us sort out our mess together? Now, I, I could be naive. Now, I do, I, I, do believe, I do believe that this is the church's role and that we should be taking center stage on this conversation. I think we should be le waving the flag, pushing it forward. I'm, I'm talking like, man, I, we should be quarterbacking this whole race and injustice situation. I do understand, though, that <clears throat> the systems, the constructs, the legislations, the, um, the, the politicizing, I know we're dealing with a big beast. And I'm not calling our legislation, our uh, government, and all that demonic. What I'm saying is that the enemy plays into the humanity of men's selfish desires, and everybody's fighting for what they want. And that then brings about division, hatred, and, and, and uh, polarization, et cetera. So I do understand that we need to infiltrate government and systems and these spaces where decisions are being made. I believe the spirit of God, I believe the spirit does that when we figure this out, when we figure out the unifying, we can then just like a, just like a, just like a spread, just begin spreading out into government, to culture, into school systems, et cetera. And it's not going to be, you know, I tell people this all the time and I don't want to discourage those of us that are in the fight. I don't think it's for our generation. I think that our generation is setting the stage for the kingdom of God to break in. And perhaps my kids, my babies, will actually live within the fruit of what we proclaimed prophetically. 
and what we put in motion. If I use these, these, if I use this kingdom construct to teach my kids how to have unity and unification with other nations, other cultures in the classroom now, and how when the systems of oppression and racism and polarization come to invade you, you are able to recognize it together. You recognize it, you can oppose it, because the Bible says that when you resist the devil, he will flee. Again, I'm not calling the, 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 I'm calling the systems demonic, not the people. But when our kids can learn to see that together, Indian kid, white kid, black kid, oh, we see what's going on here. Now we can oppose it, and everything that our previous generation was fighting for, we're actually living it out. That's what I believe is going to happen. Now, don't get me wrong. I pray that we see some of it now. Lord knows we need to see some of it now. But I believe this, this next wave, uh, this next generation of young people are, are going to really take the baton and really live out this kingdom unity. And then it begins to seep into culture, into government, into, into politics, into athlete, athletics, and all that, all that kind of stuff. So, you, fam, I'm, I'm done. But I got to say this. Unity, true racial unity is messy. And what do we do when the things get hard? And let's not expect to see any kind of progress if we're not willing to partner with heaven, partner with the kingdom, to live within the messiness of unity. And Jesus was our example for that. I even love, I'll leave you all with this because I love the book of Acts as a true Baptocostal. This is the manifestation of the church. And I love how they're in the upper room. You know, I think the Bible says on one accord, you know, on upper room, we on one accord. Like, we good, we good, we good. And we're just waiting for the fire, man. They just wait for the, God's about to send something. And we're going to sit up here and pray and wait for it. And then Acts 2, suddenly, a violent, rushing wind shows up and they all get filled and tongues of fire comes on all of them. And all of them are just like, Oh my God, look at this revival's happening. You know, praise the Lord. Oh God, do something new. We're thankful. The church is about to be yada, yada, yada. They came down from, they came down in acts two and, and, and they noticed that all these devout men from every nation come and hear in their, their own language, the praises of God and yada, yada, yada. And then Acts 2.42, they go into homes and every day they're breaking bread, listening to the apostles teaching and prayer. I mean, these jokers were saved, say, and they were impacted by the presence of the Lord. And then we get into the messiness of difference because now, you read a few chapters later, Stephen gets stoned and tragedy begins to happen now. Although he preached the gospel and Peter preached the gospel and they preached the resurrection of Jesus and the crucifixion and the spirit came many times in the book of Acts and filled the homes and filled the people. Then there was tragedy and difference. Then they had doctrinal differences. Now they're beginning to, ugh. we were just in revival. Like two months ago. Now I don't even want to talk to you. We were just speaking in tongues. We all got filled. We all were speaking in tongues. And now I don't even want to talk to you because we have differences in doctrine and how this thing is being carried out. Now Acts 16. 
the Hellenistic Jews are like, look, we got a problem. They came to the apostles and said, we got widows that are being overlooked. People are not being fed. And the apostles said, y'all go sort that out. Let's, let's strike these deacons up. <laughs> let's, let's launch these deacons because we got to focus on preaching the word. Y'all go do that. But that was a point of contention. People are getting it forgotten about. There was issue. There was crisis in the middle of the unification, and there was a decision to be made. Do we lean in to the church, or do we give in to the crisis and the division? Because if we don't, if we give in to the crisis and the division, then we will never see the true racial unity that God's called us to. But if we lean in to the differences and the friction of difference, I like to call it, if we lean into that, then we might see God do something powerful as it relates to race and injustice, especially in our country, especially in our world, especially in our culture. And then we can see revival show up. Can I tag something out of that? Yeah, bro. Go ahead, man. Yeah, wow. knock it out, bro. Okay. I'm thinking as you're talking, the the importance of us being able to push through that tension yeah. is way more important than I think people realize. And, and this mm. is why. If you think about the book of Acts, specifically Peter, but it happened to Paul too. God made Peter go through that tension that he had with the Gentiles yeah. before he saw revival happen, right? So you have you have Acts 10, right? And you have this amazing encounter where Peter, he's not even done preaching the gospel and the Holy Spirit falls. On the right, 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 right. It's every preacher's dream of what yeah. happened. But before he got there, God made him go through that vision where he saw the unclean animals being brought down. He said, take and eat. And he's saying, no, I won't do it. I won't do it based on his previous assumption of how to approach that. And nice. God made him fight through that and get through that before he ever saw revival happen. I mean, how many of it's us, good, bro. how Preach. many of us, you just think about church leaders, stuff like that. We're not seeing the revival we want to see because we haven't pushed through some of these tensions. Yeah, And race is yeah. absolutely one of them. Yeah. There's other ones there, but race has to be part of that that conversation. It does, man. We have to, and it actually happened to Paul too. It wasn't on the same scale as Peter, but before he got to Macedonia, he gets to Macedonia. And there's no there's no uh, synagogue there. Why? Because there wasn't enough Jewish representation right. to even support a synagogue. I mean, it was the epicenter of Gentile country. Yeah. yeah. But look what it took for him to get there. He said that he went. And the Holy Spirit told him not to go one place. And right. then he continues on. And the Holy Spirit says, no, not there either. It was probably the most difficult journey he had ever gone on in all of his ministry to get to the place that was completely contrary to what he probably always thought about who was deserving of salvation. Mm. And then he finally got there. And right after that, we start seeing revival break out in, in Paul's ministry. Mm. Why is that? I just wonder if God's like, you got to push through this tension first before you see the fullness of what I'm calling you to as, as a leader in my body, as a leader in my church. Preach, Garrett. <laughs> That's a word. Listen, you right, bro. Like, push through the uncomfortable nature of these differences. Push through them. You got to press through them. You got to press through the offenses. got to press through all these things. Because that is the only place where the spirit will break revival. I'm, I'm totally on board with that. And so that's what, that's what I'm contending for with all my family, my gospel and race family, as we continue to lean into this conversation of gospel and race, multi-ethnic. We're going to be talking about multi-ethnic church planting and, and, and relationships and all those kind of, kinds of things. But we got to get through the tension of difference. And we got the friction of difference. And we've got 
to push through the rough stuff before we see the glory is stuff. So, hey, real quick, before I let y'all go, there's a couple things that we're doing that that are going to open space for greater community around gospel and race conversation. All right. There are many of you who are maybe minority leaders, pastors, worship leaders, whatever. And you're in a space that is trying to be multi-ethnic or maybe multi-ethnic, but there's just there you're struggling with how to really navigate those spaces. I want to invite you to the multi-ethnic leaders network, which we've created as sort of a, it's just a relational network where we can just be together pastors and leaders and those who really want to be in this multi-ethnic space who really feel called to engage um, multi-ethnic gospel centered living and church planting and leadership. I want to invite you to be a part of that multi-ethnic network.com. I want you to jump, jump there. I'm also going to jump into a little bit of coaching. And so I'm going to, you know, on the same website, it's right, it's right on your screen. You know, if you want to, if you want to do a little bit of specific coaching, because every circumstance, like context could be different, right? There's different circumstances, different contexts. I believe that with myself and with the resources that we have with other voices and leaders and friends that we can actually pull in what we need to help those who want a little bit of coaching. This is especially for those who are lead pastors who want to foster a multi-ethnic church environment. Maybe you're trying to turn your church more multi-ethnic. Maybe your environment calls for it, but it doesn't look like it in your church. Maybe maybe you are multi-ethnic, but you're trying to sort out how to really lead faithfully in that space. I'd love to walk with you, even on a one-on-one type situation um, or, or one-on-one journey to help you, because I believe in God's multi-ethnic church, and whatever I got, I want to pour it out so that we all can win in the kingdom, see the devil obliterated and see division demolished and see unity become what God wants it to be. In Jesus' name, it's the Gospel and Race Podcast. Yo, I'm out of here. Peace. Yeah.